When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Book Riot Podcast is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For just $8 a month, you'll get easy-to-use drag-and-drop layouts, 24-7 live chat support, and beautiful responsive designs that will make your website look great on any device. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code POETRY at checkout. A better web starts with your website. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 76 and we're recording on Thursday, October 23rd, 2014. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We are some of the editors of BookRiot.com. <laughs> just a few. Just, you know, we have to uh, just say that because I want to say we are the, but then there's other people. And, mm-hmm. oh, here we go. Um, well, how are you, Amanda? I'm Welcome great. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, I, it feels like it hasn't been that long, but it, I looked it back, and it's been a few weeks since you were on the show. So welcome back. Thank you. I don't know if people know, but Amanda is the we call her the managing editor. She's in charge of the daily posting on the site and working with her contributors on a daily basis. And she does her Twitter and Facebook most of the time, sometimes mm. on weekends or when she's in a cabin away from everyone that I'm not jealous at all about. <laughs> That's next week. Next Woo. week. Um, well, Rebecca's out leaf peeping. Yeah, so. she's out leaf peeping and I am here covering people's asses. So uh, <laughs> I'm pretty happy about that. So let's see, we've got a follow-up. You, you didn't mess this one up. Rebecca and I messed this one up. Follow-up last time, Eleanor Cat and we talked about won last year's Man Booker Prize for the Luminaries. And we had said, well, that's funny because this year it was, um, what's his name, who won for that one book? Oh, I, it's Richard, Richard Flanagan, Flanagan yeah. for The Ro- Long Road to the North, I think is the name of the book, something like that. Um, now I'm going to do follow-up to my follow-up next yeah. week. But uh, we said, well, that's two Australians in a row. Well, turns out Eleanor Catton is not Australian. She's a Kiwi, not a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess people don't like that. Uh, not the fruit that I guess is a nickname for people from New Zealand. So close to Australia as these things go, but uh, not exactly Australian. So sorry to Eleanor and to anyone who uh, has strong feelings about getting that right. I like getting it right. So Getting it right is important. There's that. Uh, let's do our first sponsor. Random House Audiobooks is back. Do you need more motivation for your next workout? I do. In fact, if you don't need more metavo- meta- motivation for your next workout, don't tell anyone because we all hate you. <laughs> um, are you finally finishing up that craft project you started a year ago? Or maybe you need to add some excitement to your daily commute or your family road trip. And also, if you have an exciting daily commute, also don't tell anyone because we all hate you. You should try audiobooks. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably already have tried audiobooks. What you haven't, you should go try. You can listen to your favorite author of the newest bestseller. Really, almost everything now that comes out that's new that you've heard of has an audiobook version. You go to tryaudiobooks.com. You can get suggestions for what to listen to while you cook, while you garden, and there's something for everybody. I suggested a few weeks ago that um, you could listen to audiobooks while watching sports because of commercials and stupid announcers and blah, blah, uh, blah. Yes. And uh, someone on Twitter said they actually tried that for baseball postseason, um, and they liked it. And you know what? That's a really good idea. I, I am uh, from Kansas City or around Kansas City, so the Royals are in the World Series. So I'm sort of caring about baseball weirdly. And the games are super long and super slow. 
and the annoyings are the announcers are super bad. Yes. So it would be pretty great. Uh, I haven't tried. I was actually reading um, a book during the game, and I would just like poke my head up every now and again if I saw the ball like go in a weird direction, actually move, <laughs> meaning there was something happening. Um, so, but but I could easily have been listening to an audio book. But anyway, I, I can't remember the the listener's name, but she said she tried it and really liked it. So that's one idea as well, because football season is in full swing. Yes. So there's a lot of that going. Those on. announcers are also very bad. Yeah, there's. I mean, I guess I hear that some like um, soccer announcers are pretty good, but other than that, I don't want to. I don't want to listen to the announcers. So thank you much. So thank you so much to try audiobooks for sponsoring the show go to try tryaudiobooks.com to get suggestions for your particular activity and taste all right so the big hard news story this week um is that simon and schuster one of the big five publishers signed a new deal with amazon that basically it's 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 an it's an agency-like model which means simon and schuster has control over the pricing of their ebooks um, and books in general. Big kerfuffle about agency pricing, uh, pricing a while back when the uh, publishers were cited for antitrust violations for all getting together and say, hey, let's all charge um, agency prices with Amazon and make them do it. And then that fell apart. And now Simon Schuster's new deal is up. And they got, you know, basically, it sounds like what they wanted. Um, they set the ebook prices and Amazon some room for discounting, which is kind of what they want. Um, the deal the, the deal is believed to keep the amount of money authors earn from the sale of ebooks at current levels. So what's interesting about this? It's just you know a, a supplier s- signing a um, a big deal with a distributor. Well, the question is, we've had this little Hachette thing going on, right? And so it's unclear to really everyone. And I even heard a whisper or a rumor, or speculation that how. So the question everyone is asking this your this present commentator included is if Simon and Schuster is signing a deal with Amazon why hasn't Hachette? And right. there's really two possibilities. One is that Amazon wasn't offering these terms to Hachette. You know, they were offering them some of their deal. And second or Hachette didn't want to agree to even this good of a deal, the one that Simon & Schuster did. So I don't know which of those two things is more interesting. Um, I'm a little disappointed that Simon & Schuster didn't ha- hold out just because I would have liked the chaos of it. <laughs> um, you know, like, yeah. um, I'm always the person like in a sports tournament where I want the underdog to win or something weird to happen because chaos will ensue. But I don't know. What do you think, Amanda? I think it's just kind of a, it's a, I don't know, it's a Rorschach test. Whatever you think this means is kind of says more about what you think about the whole thing. But is there, any, is there anything interesting here? You don't, you don't care don't as much about know. the Amazon thing I do. So do you care at all about this? That's maybe an issue. Only in as much as it makes me wonder what Hachette, or like what Simon and Schuster has that Hachette doesn't have. You know, yeah. um, that's about it. Yeah, Other maybe, than that, I, I maybe have no cares true. about this at all. Maybe there's think. a bunch of titles that Amazon, you know, is uh, is worried of losing. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I guess the other yeah. thing would be. It would really make Amazon look like a bully, and they've gotten tons of bad press about the Hachette thing. Yeah. If suddenly they locked two publishers out, and then all of these Simon and Schuster authors, they start belly aching like the Hachette authors and their allies have been belly aching. So maybe they just didn't feel like they could afford the bad press. Well, you can't. I mean, two out of five. Five. Yeah, you're suddenly like, really, really bad. And yeah. then Random House Penguin is out there lurking. Yeah. Uh, at some point, when their deal is, that's the one I've really been most interested in, but. Not sure. I guess I'm. I guess I'm surprised that 
they signed a deal and that it's kind of, it, it seems to swing a little bit more back towards Simon and Schuster's favor. Um, and says, this is in Publishers Weekly, is, is likely to increase the pressure on the Hachette book group to end its long-running dispute with Amazon. Yeah, because all of a sudden, Hachette looks like they're maybe stomping their feet because yeah, like everyone else is playing nice. Um, I don't know. It'll... I'm so I keep saying I'm so surprised the Hachette Amazon thing is still going. I mean yeah. I can't we're uh, still dealing with this. So I I guess the other thing this leads me to think too is I just can't listen to uh, it makes me discount the Amazon is bad for publishers argument. Because Why? if they were so bad, then the the publishers wouldn't sign deals with them. Does that make sense? Like this is one well, thing. Well they that, can't afford not to, right? Well, I don't know. Like, if, if Amazon if Amazon is bad for publishers, is this either are you going to die fast or slow? Is that the decision? I because I, I don't really know. The, here's the thing I keep coming back to is there's like a lot of like, you know, you should shop it into bookstores, buy real books, buy full price, blah 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 blah. Because Amazon is bad and everything sucks. Well, I just find it so weird that the individual consumer has to be more on the lookout for the health of publishers than publishers seem to be if they're dealing with Amazon. Does that make sense? Yeah. I agree. It just doesn't seem fair to your rank and file book buyer that like we have to make a moral or economic decision that the publishers themselves are unwilling or unable to make. I, I don't know. That, so I just can't listen to bellyaching about it. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe that bellyaching is fair, but like if the big publishers are re-upping at current levels and keeping things sort of the same, then it must mean that the deal for them is at least somewhat beneficial. It's not like they're there's no gun to their head. Um, to sign these deals. So anyway, that's that's what's going on there. I, I wonder if the Hachette deal will get signed in a couple of weeks. I mean, they've really got to be hurting over there. Well, this is uh, going to put some added pressure on them, I'm sure. I would think so. I, I wonder if they're having trouble. I wonder if they've had any blowback in like trying to sign new authors or deals. Like, why would oh. you sign with Hachette right now? That's a good question. Um, so anyway, all right, let's do happier news. Okay. You want to do, you want to take this one? Daniel Handler's plan to save indie bookstores? Sure. Tell, tell in, us about this. Just in time for the holidays. Just in time for the holidays, yeah. <laughs> uh, Daniel Handler, a.k.a. Lemony Snicket, has a plan called that he's calling Upstream uh, to support independent uh, bookstores by pairing them with authors. And it's super simple. He's just encouraging books, uh, encouraging authors to find a local independent bookseller, go to that bookstore, sign all of your stock, uh, all of mm -hmm. the copies of your book that they have, uh, and then publicize it, essentially. Yeah. That's it, which That's I didn't, it. I didn't realize this was a thing that authors weren't already doing. Well, some of them do, yeah. I've heard of. Um, what's the one at the Fountain you're in, in Richmond? Uh, Maggie Stiefvetter. Fountain, Fountain Bookstore is the bookstore I used to work in, right. in my town. And uh, Maggie Stiefvetter is a YA author who wrote uh, The Scorpio Races and uh, a bunch of other like supernatural YA. Anyway, mm -hmm. we are her, or we, not we, I don't work there anymore. The Fountain is her home bookstore. So we order in a bunch of her new books when they come out. She comes in, signs for hours and hours and hours, and then we ship them out. Right. And it's and, great. And she's the, that's the only place you can get her signed books. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can buy them sort of consistently there. Um, my understanding too, and I might be getting this wrong, and if, if not, I'll correct it. I think Sarah McLean does the same thing for Word right. in Brooklyn, where if you want to buy one and get a, an autograph, she's a romance writer, um, 
if you want to get one, you've got to order through Word. And that's the only, you know, she'll go to other events and sign things. But if you want a place we can guarantee and go get it, go there. I think this makes sense because people want signed books and it's, it doesn't scale to like Barnes and Noble size right. or Amazon size. So it's a kind of a nice fit where you're not really making, you're not making readers choose between different outlets because literally you couldn't provide this through all retailers. So it's a real incentive to to shop at an independent bookstore that isn't, um, you know, gating people's ability to buy other places. I think this makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it's going to matter that much. Um, but well, you can imagine. Well, it seems to be specifically targeting Hachette authors. Yeah. Yeah. Is so that it might right? be helpful. Well, in the opening of his letter, whether or not you were an author published by Hachette, as I am, oh, blah, 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 blah. Right. So it seems to have come out of a place of helping mm-hmm. authors from Hachette who were being affected by the Amazon thing. I do wonder how many authors are there really that could move the needle for an independent bookstore, like really make a difference in their financial well-being. I'm, I mean, uh, he might be one of them. I don't know. I know he would whole, definitely be one of them. Yeah, like I wonder Maggie how, is one of them. For they, they sell a bunch. I mean, you don't have to tell anything. Right. But they, they move some units there. Because, yes. You know. And every time she has a new book, you can pre-order it from Fountain mm. signed. So, yeah. which is the only place you can get it. So it's a good yeah. deal for the store. That does seem like a good deal. Um, yeah, that that would make sense. Like you could, you just know you can go by. You go to, well, Book Court here uh, here in Brooklyn and Carroll Gardens. My my old local <laughs> when I lived in a different neighborhood. There's like a million authors that live in Carroll Gardens and Park Slope that could make those places. You know, they're exclusive. Yeah, I guess distributor of signed copies. The other mm-hmm. problem, though, is a lot of, you know, you need a good web portal. You need a little yes. bit better of a checkout process if you're going to do that. Um, but I think that's a good idea. I see no downside. No downside there. Nope. Um, so good job, Daniel Handler, a.k.a. Lemony Snicket. Uh, speaking <laughs> He's of a pe- good egg. <laughs> speaking of someone who could move a needle, if she had an exclusive um, deal with an independent bookstore to, to sign sell signed copies, Toni Morrison – who there was a story this week in the New York Times about the that Princeton has made a deal to acquire all of her papers and manuscripts and everything. Um, not a surprise. She was a uh, faculty for Prince, at Princeton for like fifteen years or so, um, and retired from Princeton about I think seven or eight years ago. Um, so they're going to get all of her documents. Not really a surprise. Not really even a news item in insofar as it, no one's shocked. But I was reading that article because I read all Toni Morrison related things, <laughs> and there was a buried in like a dependent clause of like the third paragraph was she's got a new novel coming out in the spring apparently. Yeah, way to bury the lead there. <laughs> and I think maybe I broke the news that like other people started linking to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Times actually broke it, but the other people were like, whoa, there's actually a story here. Because I was, um, I, I tweeted at Shinsky like, hey, here's that thing we were wondering about. We don't know anything about it, except that it's coming out this spring. And I just thought, well, this is my show, or at least <laughs> partly my show, and I get to talk about Tony You Morrison. do. Um, so that'll be the first new novel since... Let's see. What? I, oh, I guess um, home. Home came out two years ago, so it hasn't been that long, actually. I wonder uh, if it'll be another little one. Well, all the the, the last three have all been short. Um, a mercy, love, and home have all been short. I would kind of expect it to be short, but I don't know. So I'm excited to see, and uh, as as things develop, I don't even know the date. I assume it's with uh, her existing publisher, which I think is FS, FSG, but I'm not sure. Say. You know, this has got it. me wondering uh, the thing that the article is actually about, her papers. Yeah. In like 50 years, when all of our peers are older and retiring, we aren't going to really have 
paper. Like, are we gonna? Yeah. Who, are, who am I gonna donate my emails to? Assuming anybody wants them. Well, but, you I was know? gonna say for a minute. I mean, I guess if you're gonna, let's see, who would it be? Like, uh, uh, Zadie Smith. Yeah. I bet I. She probably still has. She's she has, like, got, paper correspondence? Well, I don't know. I mean, she probably has draft manuscripts on her computer that can be printed out or something. I don't know. That's a good question. I guess, yeah. Um, I mean, will we still be opening DocX files? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in 2067, it does seem like... I'm sure it will be a problem of some sort. Things will be lost, for sure. Though, on the other hand, I wonder if email provides a far more comprehensive record of someone's communication history than letter writing even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. just because the, the communication can be so granular. Um, whereas a lot of the communication I know that ha- can happen between editors and writers happen has happened in the past over the phone or in person. Right. So much more of that now happens over email that I wonder if the record is maybe more complete, just not physical. So. Well, it'll definitely be more complete. Like Princeton's getting Toni Morrison's diaries, but yeah. whoever could just go back and read our blog for right, years yeah. and years and years, almost daily. You yeah, know? yeah, that's that kind is of frightening. <laughs> Apparently, there's a play in those manuscripts that I've never heard anything about. Lyrics, lyrics. Yeah, she's I don't know. She wrote some songs. Maybe yeah. she's writing alternate lyrics. Uh, it would be great if there's like a like she had a secret hobby of like writing alternate Taylor Swift lyrics or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Like my dad, my dad sits around and makes up lyrics to new songs. It's Toni Morrison, actually, middle-aged dad. Yeah, I will, maybe we'll get goofy Toni. We'll get the goofy, because she, does, she doesn't come across as, across as super goofy. No. But I, I do wonder, maybe she has a secret goofy side that she will be in these manuscripts at, at Princeton. Um, so that, you know, and there'll probably be unpublished stories, things that she got started on that never did anything with. That's that thing those things are always super interesting um to look at down the road i i i I echo my own scream that i haven't heard about it and maybe someone's out there doing it but someone needs to be doing the tony morrison biography i don't know if anyone is yeah i haven't heard anything about it but i'm not super plugged into this through the literary biography circles um, but i am super plugged into tony morrison rumors I hope someone is out there while she's still around to participate doing it. If anyway. Jonathan Franzen gets a biography, this is what I am saying. <laughs> that is that is that is criminal that Jonathan Franzen gets a biography, but Tony doesn't have one. Um, maybe Hermione Lee will get around to it. One of the great uh, literary biographers of our time, who's a f- faculty member at Columbia and, and a very interesting woman in her own right. She on Twitter? Let's tweet tweet at her. Uh, I, I, you know what? I'm looking that up right after this. Okay. Um, Let's do our second sponsor, Kobo. This episode is brought to you by Kobo. Kobo has over 4 million ebooks in dozens of categories, from bestsellers to indie breakouts, world class e magazines, and over 100,000 kids' titles. There's a, the Kobo has their free app, and so you can read right on your smartphone, tablet, computer, and switch between devices without losing your spot. Here's a cool thing, too. Purchases through Kobo can support your local independent bookstore. A lot of independent Independent bookstores in Canada and the U.S. have signed up with Kobo. You can register your Kobo book buying account with your local independent bookstore or a bookstore all over the country that's affiliated with Kobo. So uh, my hometown bookstore is The Raven in Lawrence, Kansas. I don't know if they're signed up for Kobo. If they were, I could choose that a percentage of my Kobo ebook purchases would go to them every time I bought something. 
super great. Kobo has a full line of great looking e-readers, including one that is water resistant. So if you want to read in the shower <laughs> or in the tub or in the beach or in the sink or, <laughs> or um, in an aquarium tank, in I, don't know, I don't know, in the pool, yeah, pool, there that's a go. good one, or in sprinklers, yeah. um, you can uh, use that device there. So to go to Kobo.com to get started, thank you so much to Kobo for sponsoring the show. That reminded me real quick, I want to plug the latest episode of Reading Lives, um, which was with Mallory Ortberg, editor of The Toast, author of the forthcoming text from Jane Eyre. She reads in the shower. What? And we talk about that briefly during the show. So you can go to bookride.com slash reading lives and you can listen to that. That one's live right now as we record. It went live on the weekend of the 18th. I just recorded yesterday the next show, which will be with Andy, which is with Andy Weir, the author of The Martian. Uh, super interesting guy. And we talk about he and his father's love of sci-fi quite a bit. That will be when, if you're listening to the show, you will be able to go download that one as well. So just wanted to mention those two there. All right. Oh, I'm looking at what's next after the sponsor, and I don't like this. I don't I'm like sorry. this at all. This one's all you. <laughs> uh, all right. So in the New Yorker this week, there was a, a, a New Yorker.com. I don't know if it appeared in print. Um, I don't think that it did. Rebecca Mead, who's someone both you and I have liked in the past, the yes. writing she's done for I the New like Yorker her book and elsewhere. I like her book about Middle March. We talked about this on the show. She wrote a book called The Percy Jackson Problem. Which was just another uh, a, a fancy or at least a uh, misdirection for an article worrying about YA and the end of books and everything. Um, here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh, make sounds, Jeff. <laughs> so, basically, I guess it's the old saw again, right? The old yeah. saw that YA isn't good enough and people should just – teenagers should just go read Shakespeare, right? That but basically younger, the, like dialed younger. down. Cause, okay, yeah, Because Rick yeah. Riordan writes like middle grade. Middle so this grade. is more – So 10 to 13-year-olds kind yeah. of in there? Should go read Shakespeare, I guess. I, so the, <laughs> there's uh, – <laughs> all right. I guess I don't want to just say bad job, lady, um, though I, that, I think it is a bad job. But I do want to come out, there's like, Mead is writing sort of against the notion that some defenders of YA and also defenders of genre writing, I say, I should say to use, which is the sort of at least they're reading argument. Yes. Saying that, you know, if they're going to read, if at least they're reading and maybe they'll go on to read something that is not this thing that I am backhandedly calling crap, Right. Yes. Because that's what you're saying when you're saying at least they're reading, um, is that, well, this thing might not be that good, but maybe one day down the road, their love of Percy Jackson will lead them to, I don't know, the, Margaret Atwood's uh, Penelope ad, which will lead them someday to read whatever you think the pinnacle of reading is, which we could get into a fight about that as well if we <laughs> wanted to. Um, and basically, she's saying, well, not so fast. Do we know that that's happened? And I guess that's really the extent of our arguments. We don't know that's what people do. Right. To which I have two responses, uh, <laughs> at least. The first is, um, before I did Book Riot, I was a teacher um, of high school, or, well, freshmen and sophomores um, at Columbia and at the new school. Um, English kids, you know, 
there are going to be English majors probably down the road, some of them, but not all of them. And I've, so I've talked to, I've had literally hundreds of students and I always was curious about what they read as a kid, what they got into. Talked to, we have 70 plus writers here at Book Riot that all have very similar experiences, plus just people I know in my personal and professional lives otherwise. So I think it's safe to say I've talked to hundreds of people who've grown up to be serious book lovers. Mm-hmm. And the vast, vast majority of them got started out was something that wasn't Shakespeare. Yeah. I'm one of those people, right? I am too, yeah. Um, I got started reading in a serious way, like with Stuart Little and Charlotte's Web and then Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and X-Men. You know, I probably started reading literary fiction earlier than maybe a lot of people did when I was 12 and 13, but that was sort of accidental because my uncle dropped the books, uh, dropped a box of his college books off at my house one day and said, Jeff likes to read, let's give him Portnoy's complaint. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a story. That's a story for another day. Oh my God. So, but so here's the thing I keep, the thing I keep coming back to in these sorts of arguments where the counter to the at least they're reading anything is like, well, what they, they might not, right? That's kind of the counter argument. We have no proof that people who read Harry Potter or Percy Jackson or The Hunger Games or Divergent or Default in Our Stars are going to grow up to be, and I'm using all the air quotes in the world here, mm-hmm. you know, good, serious readers down the road. And my counter to that is, well, you got to start somewhere. Where's the cutoff line for when it's okay for a kid to read kids' books? Do you see what I'm getting at? Does that, that make sense? That is an excellent question, yes. Like, because if it's not at 13, is it at 12? Is it 11? Is it at 10? Because certainly someone's going to argue that a seven-year-old should be reading Shakespeare. I, I just, I, I, that sounds absurd. Well, I don't think she's saying so much that children should be tossed into adult fiction with no introduction but her problem seems to be that uh with the the slang and the language yes. the non-elevated right. language of the percy jackson series i've read the first one and it is very slangy but it's for 10 year olds you know yeah I, that's what i'm getting at like <laughs> yeah at 10 year olds slangy is all right i mean mm-hmm. i don't get the pro I, I i don't i don't get it so at what point should elevated language be the primary diet of kids who like to read. And I just don't see that there's a good answer to that. My second response is the critique, her critique is that the language is sort of, I don't know, lowbrow, I guess, uh, lazy. Yeah. And Child, It's childish. Preethi, who writes for Book Riot, uh, is a huge Rick Reardon fan, made a really great counter, which is you're looking at the wrong thing. Because she says, and I don't, I've only read, like, I think the very first of the the Lightning Thief. Is that Rick Reardon yes. too? Is that a Percy Jackson book? I don't even, I don't know if it's the same series or not. Yes. I, I think, think it's it is. the first one. Yeah. So I read that just to see what it was. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, I thought it was, it was, you know, it's, I could see how a 10 year old would like it. It's not my particular thing. Yeah. But she made the point that it's super good at being inclusive of all different, of all different kinds of people and experiences. And which is a point that me, just doesn't see at all. Mm-hmm. And so it leads me to the the second sort of main critique I have of this way of thinking is it assumes that there's only there's only sort of a limited range of qualities that are good for young readers to be exposed to. And she's, she talks about language. And that's long been the lit snob's recourse. The language is no good or the style isn't good. Or she's not a great writer. Well, I think there's a whole bunch of things that books and reading and stories can do for kids especially that exceed 
beautiful sentences. Um, yeah. And I think inclusivity is one of them. So that's my rant. Is that a rant? Did I rant? I don't know. I didn't no, quite feel like no, I ranted, I so. but th- those are my responses there. Um, and, and I try, uh, Shinsuke makes fun of me sometimes because I want to <laughs> do generous readings of things. Yeah. And so that's my generous response because I totally don't agree with Mead. Um, but, you know, it comes, I think at least her piece comes from a, I, I think a more interesting place than a lot of like why is dumb. She's like, mm-hmm. how can I engender a love of books that is fruitful and rich for my kids? Cause she comes from a, from a mother's point of view. She's more talking about her own kids as a lens to talk, as a way to talk about the larger phenomenon. Um, so those are my responses. Do you have anything else you want to say about that? Or you just want to move on? Well, I do have one thing. Yeah. And this is a common argument that I see with stuff about YA and kids' books. She says at the very end, it's one of the last sentences, that instead of what if, instead of urging reader, young readers to take on more challenging books, what if reading these kind of lowbrow well, yeah, YA or whatever only makes them hungry for more of the palatable same, is what she says. <sighs> uh, so they'll just go on to read more, I guess, lowbrow, YA, whatever, whatever. But seems to me that you could say the same thing about most readers of highbrow literary fiction. You are just reading the same mm. story written by white, middle-class people from Brooklyn over and over and over and over. But it has nice sentences, so I guess that's okay. Right. Yeah. So, like, really, you're doing the same thing. And I did it for the long, you know, I blogged about nothing but classic literature for three years, and I read nothing but, like, old dead white mm-hmm. people for three years. And it got kind of, it just gets boring and predictable just like anything else and so i don't know i mean i I don't agree with what she's saying here about really any of it but that particular sentence bothers me a lot because you can read you can get stuck in a reading rut that leaves you close-minded and not open to new styles of literature no matter what age you are or what kind of books you're reading and it doesn't make it better just because your book's won an award i guess yeah and she seems her fear seems to be that an engagement with the sort of palatable same that she's using Reardon really as a stand-in for might prevent readers from engagement with more immediately difficult incarnations. That's her her own phrase. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes I think also that that chestnut of difficulty is is also a refuge of a certain kind of snob, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know... What is the what are the virtues of difficulty? I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I guess if it's difficult, is it sort of Finnegan's Wake level of difficulty? <laughs> is it difficulty identifying with an experience you haven't had? Um, is it difficulty reading about things you don't want to read about? Like I don't know. And some of this all swirls back, I think, to the central question that none of us have a good answer to. And I certainly don't, except that I I like to think I'm more open-minded about it, is we really don't know why reading is good for you. And and if it is how how to... I guess, best harvest the goodness that books and reading have at the core of if, if it is good, right? We mm-hmm. don't know – because we know plenty of jerks that are great readers, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, w- plenty of civilizations and societies have done horrible deeds um, and had great literary traditions of their own. Um, I know a lot of people that love books that have the same range of flaws and shortcomings that people who are not serious book lovers do. So 
I don't, I don't know exactly where we're trying to go with this argument of what, it, but what if it keeps them from being serious readers? I, I just don't, I don't know what the answer to that might be. Maybe that, maybe that definition of being a good, a serious reader needs to be revisited. Um, I like to think that the world is better if there's more people out there who love and care about books, but I don't know that it's the case. I can't even really make a good logical argument that it is the case. Well, there was that study recently, right, about how reading fiction can make you more empathetic. <sighs> yeah. It could be. I mean, it could need the, to spend my time in methodology my, my romantic heart wants that to be true. But is it any more true than if you watch interesting movies or good TV or go volunteer at a soup kitchen? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, how can anyway. reading a book be better for me as a moral human being than going volunteering at a soup kitchen? It really can't be. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't see how no. it can be. Or Maybe it makes the, you the kind of person who is more willing to go do something like that? I, I guess that has to be the argument or will make sort of more more ethical sort of decisions at the voting booth or something. Like, it's such a weird yeah. set well, of was argumentations. was that Harry Potter study? Now I'm remembering. Yeah, so, it was a Harry Potter yeah. study that said you're more – we talked about it on the show that I guess made you more sympathetic to immigrants. I think mm-hmm. it's what it said. Yeah, and like gay marriage issues. Right. Made people less homophobic or made kids less homophobic. Yeah, so I don't know. Those sorts of studies also, there's there's something like we should think of it as value over replacement activity. Like how much better, how much more empathetic does reading make you towards immigrants than say, I don't know, reading reading news stories about the plight of refugees around the world. Like if you're reading Harry Potter if you want people to read Harry Potter because it makes them more empathetic towards refugees, I can't believe that's the most efficient way of doing it. Now, that doesn't say there isn't remuneration to reading books at all. My, 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 I'm not trying to slag on the idea of reading books. Sometimes we get too comfortable as people who care about books saying reading books is great. Everyone should do it all the time forever. But we get very smug about it. Very smug, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, I fall into that trap myself as well. I just think I just want to be careful because it does lead us to these sorts of arguments, I think, if you think that's true. Because we think reading books makes people better than everyone should be reading books. And we should be making them read the kinds of books that best engenders whatever this quality we want book readers to have. Oh, boy, I'm off on a rant. Now I'm you on are. a rant. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um, I think these are conversations worth having. For sure. I just wish it wasn't so, I don't know. I just wish it wasn't so, I feel like the burden of proof is on the wrong side, where YA has to prove that it's good for kids, whereas everyone just can say, well, serious books are good for people without any sort of. There's no critical thought about it. Right. That's that right. There's like think piece after think piece after think piece about the dangers of young adult literature and kids books and all of this. And that they all say the same thing over and over again without analyzing their premise. Yeah. But then the reactions tend to just be this like, how dare you judge me sort of a thing. So really nobody is is thinking about it at all. We're just, mm-hmm. we're readers, yay. Which, okay, yeah. but. Uh, right. Use your thinky bits. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and she also cites this dude named Tim Parks, who wrote an essay in the New York Review of Books, which I've slagged on that particular essay, even myself. Yes. He enlisted the example of his own children's reading habits and those of his young students to argue that there's little evidence to suggest that readers will make progress upwards from Pulp to Proust. I seriously doubt if E.L. James is the first step towards Shakespeare. He concluded, better to start with Romeo and Juliet. I mean, Do you know any kids reading E.L. James? Well, that's the other thing. Or do you know what eleven-year-old do you know reading Proust? I I don't get it. 
And so, what do they want us to start with? Like, if if that's what I'm saying, like, (laughs) I I, I guess you you don't learn how to swim. You just jump into the mid Atlantic. I guess. I, I I don't really know. I mean, maybe. I think even this idea that they're worried about young adults is interesting because they're not worried about kids' books, right? They don't seem to be. They're not worried no, about not like like legitimate children's literature yeah, no. like Stuart Little or – was Nancy Drew middle grade? I don't remember. Do you know what people call that? I have oh, – probably because it's, like it's a chapter, fourth, but, it, but it's a I chapter read, book. So. I read it in like fourth grade. And I like – I burned through like everything in my school uh-huh. library. I like reread fourth. the first five recently. Oh, I remember so when you were doing that. Yeah, They're yeah. chapter books. So they're probably middle grade. So, I mean, I don't hear anyone – were people slagging on Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys and Encyclopedia Brown? I just don't under, I just don't get it. Like what is it about? Because they go from E.L. James to Rick Reardon. Like why are they thrown into the same – boat here because they're bestsellers is that what it is they're bestsellers that aren't richard flanagan's the long road towards this <laughs> terrible thing about world war ii or whatever the title of that book is like yeah you should give that to your 12 year old yeah I, I i i just don't get it I, I don't i don't there's a logical move here that i i feel like i don't understand well these t- sort of think pieces tend to recommend that you you know ditch the YA when you're 12 or 13 or whatever and just go back to reading Dickens and that's the move <laughs> you know yeah. like that's if we're going to make this these think pieces into a trope that's the trope ditch the ditch, John ditch, Green ditch John Green at 14 and pick up the Dickens I guess basically when you go through puberty yeah you put away childish things and and it's just all it's just because all working in the coal mines because cancer is totally a childish <laughs> yeah, story yeah i guess i mean I don't know. It just Let's always, move. eventually, it comes back to a place of privilege and snobbishness about the classics. Always. That's just always where we mm. end up back. Like, you're reading too much young adult literature, you should read this stuff written by old dead white people, and because of reasons that make no sense. Because it'll make, you, it'll make you better, Amanda. At something, it just makes it'll you make better. you better. It'll make you better. It'll prepare you for writing for The New Yorker. Dickens makes you better because difficulty. That's kind of the, the argument. Because semicolons? Or... <laughs> Yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> um, oh man, uh, we got we got to we got to we got to do a sandwich here. I can't talk about the next one already. Um, okay. <laughs> Waterstones, yeah, which is a bookstore in the UK, a, a chain of them. I'm told uh, they partnered with Airbnb to have a competition where you could apply to be uh, to to get to stay over at the bookshop, have a sleepover, yeah. an officially sanctioned bookstore sleepover. Um, that's uh, Waterstones Piccadilly. That's in the heart of London. Piccadilly Circus is giving 10 lucky guests who can each bring a friend along with them a chance to find out what it's like to sleep over in a bookstore. Uh, let's see. Saunter up and down our beautiful staircase. Um, They're going to give them breakfast. Give you breakfast. Sleeping bags provided. Awesome. Um, they're going to read to you. Um, let's see. You're going to get some free stuff from sponsors. Uh, and that's it. That that's it. Uh, and, oh, but you know what? They got their the competition is close. I'm just reading this. They got their ten. In, super, shockingly, they got more than ten <laughs> entries. Um, so do you do you know the background behind this? Yeah, like it's that dude that it? got he got uh, somebody got locked in a Waterstones. Yeah, for two hours. For two over, hours, like, and overnight. he was tweeting at them saying, "I'm I'm left in here." I guess he was just wandering up in the stacks. Yeah. Um, and they were like, it was time to close, and they left him in there. And the response on Twitter was jealousy. Yes. And so Waterstones was like, hark, an opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. So good job, Airbnb and Waterstones, for 
um, gra- taking a uh, possibly bad PR move, uh, a situation, and turning it into a good one. I hear people say, yeah, it'd be great to spend a night in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I the crank? Am I the, the grump that's like, but beds? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you uh, are. <laughs> but, but showers. Yeah. Because like I like a hey I like a bookstore, but after what do you do? Uh, what do people want to do? They just want to sleep around books. Is that what it is? Like what do they want? I could to just go do? downstairs to where my bookshelves are and sleep. Yeah, I guess I, 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 look, do what you want. If this sounds great, I, I just for myself, I'm not exactly seeing the. Uh, I wouldn't do it every night, but I would do it once. You for would the try. Novelty. You try once, okay. just for the fun. Just for the hey. Uh, okay, sure, I understand. I understand. <laughs> um, but I'd rather just go wander the. Now, if I could browse like the bookstore when it's closed, like because there's not a whole bunch of people around, that I like. Mm-hmm. But I only well, need a couple. You can hours do it then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But would they? Would I be able to like be like? You know what? I browse for three hours. Peace. I'm leaving my sleeping bag behind. My Star mm-hmm. Wars sleeping bag can stay right there. I'm you, sure if you ask to leave. And you can keep your, your scones and full English breakfast for some other person. <laughs> oh, man, Kathleen. How are we even going to talk? I don't even know how to start with this All right. stuff. I'll do it. It's just a complete it? disaster. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Um, okay, so Kathleen Hill is a YA author who got a negative review on Goodreads and went to extreme and bizarre lengths to find her reviewer. Yes. Um, got her address, did a background check, found out that the reviewer's name on Goodreads was not her real name, supposedly, according to her. Right. Um, so she paid for a background check, got the woman's address and her work phone number, and went to the blogger's house to confront her, and then wrote about it in The Guardian for reasons I don't understand why the Guardian gave her uh, that platform. And the responses have been really mixed, which is also super shocking to me (laughs) that anyone thinks that that's okay. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's the, that's the gist. And she, she uses the words stalking in the post. Kathleen Hale is very self-deprecating about it. She says, you know, it was the lowest points the point of lowest decency in her life was going to that person's house. But she says it in ways that she's not sorry. She's, right. She's not sorry at all. She's and if I remember right, funny. I've seen pieces after the fact where she sort of says, I, I don't apologize or right. you know, minimizes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm literally face palming so hard. Like under <laughs> like the, the under my glasses so that they get oh. pushed up onto my forehead face yeah. palming. Like, so the review that... I don't even want to use the person's name because she didn't yeah. really ask for it. The the blogger. It was a bad review of her book. Yes. Like it was a it was a mean It was uh, nasty. It was nasty. Um I don't want to minimize that either just cuz in fair I don't think it's like justifies anything, but it's yeah. it's the kind of Goodreads review that makes me hate Goodreads yes, to be honest. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um it attacks her sort of personally. It gets some I guess of the material facts of the book wrong or misrepresents them it's sort of and she sort of actively discourages other people from reading the book there's a lot i don't like about goodreads and that is that is the main that's pretty much it that's right pretty much the thing i don't like about it so i i can understand that hey reads that review it was a it was a review of a review copy i think she got a review copy so it's before the book is even out it's a vulnerable time in a writer's life yeah. you know when the book is done waiting for it to come out and 
it doesn't feel like someone who had early access to your book gives it a fair shake and even like a good faith effort. That being said, what in the hell was Kathleen Hell doing? I have no idea. What is she? Because it's, there's another piece to this too. Like, so there's, um, I forget the name of the, the blog. Is it, it might just be YA Reads. I can't remember. They host, they host a, an event where they pair bloggers with authors to do interviews. Yeah. And then publish them. Kind of, you know, good idea. Like book bloggers do a lot of interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And Hale was asked if there's anyone she'd like to have interviewer. And she picked this reviewer that she already was obsessed with. Yeah. Like it's uh, apparent. And um, I'll link to this as well. There's a bunch of interesting links. And the, and the, and the woman who hosted that basically blogger author interaction, they have an event. She wrote a long post about it. Did you see this about her did, sort yeah. of role in it? Like, her role, yeah. And how Hale was saying, she asked for her address because she wanted to send her a gift. Mm-hmm. And then all this other, and like, she got the, the address that the woman had and she didn't sort of believe it. is there somewhere else they should send it because the name is wrong and what should I do with this gift? It's like she literally went overboard. Like and by overboard over like she went to this person's house. She called her on the phone and lied about who she was to get information about her. And I just can't and there's been a lot of Anne Rice defended it, so I understand. Anne like Rice I, is yeah. You know, I don't even. I that's just a rant. don't. <laughs> I just don't see how, really, anyone can say anything other than WTF. It's indefensible. To, yeah, I don't understand how everyone on the planet who gets any sort of wind of this situation doesn't automatically say it's indefensible. Right. And I feel like I went into this Guardian post that Kathleen Hill wrote fairly level-headed. I mean, I'm usually team blogger kind right. of automatically, Me but too. I've been around Goodreads long enough to know that there is yes. some well, nastiness directed we've also at been around. We've been on the internet. We've had people say nasty stuff about us. Yeah. You know, that's and not so, something unusual that we find. I totally get, I was fully prepared to read something about an author being upset about yes. a Goodreads thing, and that was what I thought I was going to read. But when I got to, then I drank a lot of bourbon and started doing a, paying for a background check, I was like, <laughs> You did who and what now? Yeah, I know. And also the phrase light stalking. Like, what no. is that? Illegal that in is many a states. Weird, yeah, is that what is that a is. Weird phrase to use. Um, and then it came out that Kathleen Hale has done this sort of thing before. Yeah. Um, when she was a teenager. Kathleen Hale needs her internet taken away. Is what it sounds uh, like to me. Very much. Well, that was pre-internet, I guess. When yeah. She was a no, teenager. but like this is like. It's one of those situations where that's an enable. It's an enabling medium for mm-hmm. a kind of personality trait. I can't believe the Guardian ran this piece. Doesn't she have some sort of weird? This is very gossipy, uh, but she's got some sort of like connection to the Guardian somehow, familial oh, or know. something like that. I don't know. I, I can't. But speak I'm sure to that. people out there know the correct. Yeah, facts if you about do know and have a link or something substantive, send it to us, and we can include it in the show notes there as well. I think we do need to have in in like the blogging community a conversation about. Goodreads and yes. blog and, and reviews and what where the line is and all of that without making it sound like reviewers are writing for authors because they're not mm-hmm. and without making it sound like reviewers need to censor their negative opinions about a book because they don't. But that's a conversation we need to have. However, this is not so bananas. And if she ever, if an author ever showed up to my house yes. where my children live, I would. I would it, say you have a five count, or you're going to get punched. Yes. Yes. I would cut. I, mm. <laughs> yeah, it would not go well for I'm the author out coming my to my house. It, it would not. Me. I would put earrings in just to take them off. <laughs> I just can't imagine. I can't imagine. No, it would be a very bad scene. 
for someone coming to my house, to my home and, and, and the reactions have been, I mean, I've, I know bloggers who have gone out and gotten PO boxes since this happened yeah. because they're terrified that some author is going to get their address from a publisher. Well, to be honest, when I wrote, when I first started blogging, I used a pseudonym. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it's not a pseudonym because it clearly was, it wasn't a fake name because no one, it was just a reading ape and I signed yeah. my stuff to ape. So it wasn't like I was pretending to be somebody else, but it was, um, Anonymous because I, you know, I was an academic at the time, and mm-hmm. academic academia can be very weird about non-academic writing, and I wanted to have the freedom. So I, I, I was worried not for my safety, but for effects of writing in a certain kind of way about books. And even even Jeff Cut and Loose is still very buttoned up yeah. <laughs> on the whole. Like the, just the top button of the polo gets unbuttoned, uh, but everything else stays tucked in. Um, so I understand in a, in a small way, but the the other thing that comes to mind too, and it also. Um, Who's the woman who this we didn't even talk about it in the show, I don't think. The woman who wrote this nasty thing about how, you know, she got a bad Amazon Vine review. Who was that? Oh, uh, Morgan Howard or Morgan yeah, Howard? Yeah, she, she, she wrote a memoir and got a bad Amazon Vine review <laughs> and sort of went off about who are these people to, <laughs> these people. Uh, that have, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't people who get to review have training and criticism and whatever and, mm-hmm. And the one of the reviewers said, I don't understand how this woman has a career in writing. And the response from the person in the, it was an article in New Republic said, well, just just know that, you know, I guess my seven figure book deal shows how I, it's just like yeah. very. Wow. The power differential thing is what it comes down to. To me, the, the only takeaway that I find interesting in, in this particular story of Kathleen Hale is like how much more power authors have over than bloggers. And this phrase that gets bandied about that, like bloggers are bullying writers oh. is just such a load of horse crap Yes, that I can like what blogger could call up the guardian and get a, you know, room for a thousand word piece or the new Republic. I read another, I'll, I'll, I'll find the link and send it to you so you can put it in the show notes. I just recently read another post by a blogger who had dog feces put in her <sighs> mailbox because she gave a negative, not like this style negative, right. just like a normal negative review right. of a famous traditionally published author. Oh, no. And that author talked about it on her social media and kind of sicked her fans on this poor blogger. And she got doxxed and woke up one day with dog feces and a co- wrapped in a copy of her review mm. in her mailbox. And that's the sort of thing. And then you try to tell me that bloggers are bullied by people no, with seven-figure book deals and millions of followers on Twitter. That's ridiculous. There might be, there might be uh, again, I don't see all good behaviors. And there might be a case when if a group of bloggers who know each other do indeed, like, you know, not all authors are, have the same level of clout within publishing. I mean, I can see how someone could go smear and that's that again like that's the conversation you were referring to like yeah. it isn't the wild west um right and goodreads i think does a not a great job and not as good as they could because they're internet scale and i don't know how you deal with that that's their problem not mine but it sucks um it, it does kind of, for for a good a goodreads page for a book is really influential and that people can write almost anything on that sucks for authors i think that yeah. I, I i totally sim- sympathize to that but you know what a lot of things suck um <laughs> and many of them and almost all of them don't authorize you doxing someone going to their house and then writing an essay about it like so, a to be smug <laughs> yeah. unapologetic um it just is the height of of crazy um and really you know i know people's blood boils when they're reading about their own work and 
for whatever reason, book reviews really bring out the nasty in people on both sides. But I think this is the most extreme case I've ever I've ever heard of. Uh, I can't think of anything like Goodreads it. has changed their their review policy to where you cannot attack an author personally, right? In your reviews anymore. So she could have just flagged it, mm. and it would have been removed, and that would have been the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Which is what most people do. Right. Well, I <laughs> mean, you know? it might be interesting to say for book right if 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 someone calls someone else a name. On our comments or our Facebook or Twitter, we just we delete it immediately. Yeah, just you just can't do it. You can talk about an idea. You can say something isn't cool or mm-hmm. somebody don't like something or a behavior or an idea, but you can't call people names. You can't do it. Um, and you know, I don't know why. I, I I will spend my life wondering what the motivation for bloggers is to be nasty about this stuff. Um, but even that, even saying I don't like that behavior, I don't want people to hear me saying, "Well, Hale had a shred of." Uh, Validation or yeah, justification no. for doing what I can totally understand why she's upset. I can totally understand why she would might have written a piece in the Guardian saying, "Boy, doesn't this suck that this is the world we live in?" Where blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the behavior just just cannot be condoned in any way, shape, or form. All right, let's do our next sponsor before we get to new books. Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform. Makes it fast and easy to create a beautiful website, portfolio, gallery other kind of internet home for your web project. You go to squarespace.com, enter offer code poetry. You can get 10% off a year's subscription to Squarespace. Also includes a free domain name. So if you need don'tdoxme.net and it's available, you can register that to (laughs) Squarespace and host your um, account there. Squarespace 7 is out now. It's the new version of Squarespace. A couple of uh, features of that I want to tell you about. I've talked before about how you know they've got beautiful templates that are responsive that you can customize, drag and drop, moving around of pieces. Looks great on your phone, iPad, MacBook Pro, iMac, projected onto a screen. Squarespace 7 is the new version of Squarespace. They got a couple cool things there. One is that you can preview how your site is going to look on a device you don't own. So you can set it to iPhone 6, and you can see how it looks on iPhone 6 right there on your computer. Another nice thing, too, is they've partnered with Getty, is that you can build into your subscription. You have to pay a little bit more, but you can get access to Getty Images to license the, photo- the photography. So we do that for Book Riot. We have a subscription to a photography licensing service, um, and we use that stock imagery from there. But this is an easy way we can get a very reasonably priced stock image collection built into the website that you are looking at. So there's a couple new things with Squarespace 7. The other big feature is live previewing. So as you are working on your site, you don't have to click reload to see how it's actually going to look. Um, here it can side by side as you're making changes you can see how it is changing in real time making it easy all the time they have 24 7 live customer support because as we all know when you're working on a website everything goes super great all the time and nothing ever happens so you definitely will never need live chat Um, and that might be the most ironical statement Mm -hmm. i think i've ever said with the flattest delivery in which i've ever delivered an ironical (laughs) statement so go to squarespace.com use offer code poetry to uh, get started and work on something great. Thanks so much to Squarespace. New books. Woo! It's yes, always interesting. I, it always feels like the most random assemblage of new books when Shinsky's out because this is usually her part of the show. So it's kind of like when dad, um, and when I was a kid and mom was out of town, dad did the cooking. And <laughs> yeah. we sort of have a weird <laughs> sort of, it's like, yeah, I guess we're going to have uh, hot Frozen dogs. Frozen waffles. <laughs> we have hot dogs and uh, hmm, uh, spaghetti. 
for dinner tonight. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yes, I actually want that right now. Um, I'll take the first one. Okay. Uh, out this week, The Republic of Imagination, America in Three Books, in three books by Azar Nafisi. I think that's the right name. I'm so sorry if I got that wrong. If anyone knows how to say that right, let me know. Um, she is the woman who wrote Reading Lolita in Tehran. And this new book is about... Um, Basically, she was doing an event for reading Lolita in Tehran, and one of her, I guess, audience members said something to the effect that people in America don't care as much about books as they do where you're from based on your book. So she went about writing this book. Um, she responds, so she went, used that as a moment to talk about what fiction can do for us. It's sort of memoir, but also opinion, close readings of some of her favorite American novels, Huck Finn, Babbitt, The Hearts of Loading Hunter, and others. Um, she starts thinking about America and what books can do and how they can be a part of a national consciousness and conversation. I will be reading this with a quickness um, <laughs> as soon as I'm done with my current book. But that is out this week. It's called The Republic of Imagination by Azar Nafisi. Tell us about Chuck. All right. New book from Chuck Palahniuk, Beautiful You. This one sounds kind of dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not kind of. It just sounds it's really dirty. straight up dirty, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's about a low-level associate named uh, at a Manhattan law firm named Penny, who's just kind of, you know, no love life, dead-end job, all of that. And then she gets invited to dinner by one of her boss's clients, who is a software mega-billionaire playboy. He whisks her <laughs> as they off, all are. As they are. He whisks her off to Paris and then entertains her, if you get my drift, mm-hmm. for several days and takes notes on it. And who wouldn't love that, I guess? Mm. But then Penny finds out that she is a test subject for a uh, line of sex toys that this software billionaire ha- is developing. And they get released into the world, the line of, of toys, and are so effective that women buy them by the millions and then disappear into their rooms and don't come out. <laughs> So the world is left to the Wasn't devices of men. Wasn't there a Sex in the City episode about that? I'm pretty sure it was the entire show. When someone gets a super good vibrator and they're just like, they just... They oh, the house. rabbit. Yes, yes, the rabbit. Right. <laughs> I do remember that. Um, and so it's kind of an end of the world scenario with sex toys. Gotcha. There you go. Chuck Politic, if you like disturbing and dark humor. Um, I'm going the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Some Luck by Jane Smiley. This actually came out a couple weeks ago. Um, it didn't, um, Rebecca didn't pick it to talk about on the show. Uh, I picked it for a couple reasons. One is that it was long listed for the National Book Award, uh, which is interesting. But it's also in a place we like to call my wheelhouse once I read the synopsis. <laughs> so it's set on their farm in Denby, Iowa. It's So I'm in. Farms in Iowa, Done. I'm in. It's Cather, it's Marilyn Robinson, it's Jane Smiley. I'm in Farms in Iowa. Um, it's the Langdons. Which I'm in on Langdon's just because of Dee Brizzle alone. And you name your character Langdon, I'm in. Anyway, it's a Langdon family, and it takes over th- takes place over three decades. I'm also in these multi generational epics, mm-hmm. and each chapter in Some Luck covers a single year, beginning in oh. 1920, when Walter Langdon re- returns from World War One. I-, I don't know what else to say. I read this. This is an auto read description for me. I these multi generational things on farms in the Midwest, like. <laughs> It's like goes beyond genre kryptonite. It's almost like some weird psychic tractor beam that I have to read these things. Um, I have to know why. You're gonna have to write about this one day. I, yeah, I, that, yeah. That's like it's it's a genre catnip. A catnip. <laughs> a cat, does catnip make cats 
I'm trying. How am I? Do they? Is it like? Um, is it? Is it so compelling that a cat cannot resist catnip? Is that the deal? I think so. Is that In what it is? Or they just like it? I can't. I, that's oh, I'm, no. It's addictive. And then they, they get totally stoned and stare off into space. And Okay. So yeah. catnip is, this is maybe what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's Some Luck by Jane Smiley. It was published a couple weeks ago. It is out now. Let's see what else. I lost my agenda, man. I'm lost. I'm scared. The I'm, Fahrenheit 451. Oh, I'm just going to notice. Yeah. I, I look for, I, uh, on deals.bookride.com, I post... Um, daily cheap books or interesting things that are going on that you can get some for cheap. And I routinely stop by Audible to see what their daily deal was. This isn't their daily deal. It's just a new edition of Fahrenheit 451 that Audible produced, read by Tim Robbins. So I thought if that's something that rings people's bells, that I would tell people about that, Fahrenheit 451. That's our show. As always, you can find me on Twitter, Reading Ape. Um, you can find Amanda on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. No apostrophe, because Twitter doesn't allow that. Nope. Too many spaces. Too many spaces. Uh, you can find show notes for this show at bookride.com slash podcast. You can also find the backlog of all of our shows there. If you've got, I'm, I feel like I've made several errors today. If you'd like to correct any or all of them, <laughs> you can email us at podcast at bookride.com. Thanks so much to Triadu Books and Kobo and Squarepa- Squarespace for sponsoring this show. And um, all of them are have been or will be repeat sponsors so that's super great um go visit them and check them out you can leave us a review on itunes that's always super good and i'm plugging reading lives this week um mallory ortberg super fun she reads in the shower um also how much she hated um wide sargasso sea was hilarious and then andy weir is this week um and we talk a lot about super nerdy 50s sci-fi And uh, that's our show. Amanda, as always, thank you so much for uh, stepping in, and we'll see you again real soon. Bye.